Welcome to the School for Mystics podcast with Misha Saido and Marina Galan. In this podcast, Marina and I will share with you unique and contrarian perspective of how our lives really work. Hello, Marina. Hi, Misha. Okay, so we have our episode and today we are talking about self-esteem. Self-esteem. It's a very uh, used topic nowadays, isn't it? Sometimes overused, it seems to me. But as always, we will bring freshness to it. Well, we can try. (laughs) (laughs) We'll do our best. We will do our best. That is the promise. Yeah, that's the promise. Have you ever struggled with your own self-esteem? Oh, yeah, of course. For as long as I believed in it, I struggled with it. (laughs) So true. You know what's funny? Before I turned 34, I thought that I actually never struggled to self-esteem. Really? I think... I thought it, it has never been an issue for me since I has always been a confident one. You know, I I actually was over the board. Like I would push my ego wherever I could to push, you know. So like in, in, in the class or in the university or in any job environment, I would be the one pretending I know what to do. Uh-huh. That's and I was under illusion. That's the same thing, you know, but I didn't know that until I turned like 34. Right. But pretending is not the same thing as being. Just- so true. So true. Like there is a difference between being self-confident and being confident in yourself, right? So I was self-confident. Right. I understand what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think the the whole idea of the need for self-esteem and self-confidence begins with the illusion of an I, of a self that needs to actually be worthy of. I think it even starts earlier, before your I formed, your parents believe that you have an I. They believe that you are someone and there are certain things that you need to do. And they they put expectations, even though your eye is still not developed. Yeah, absolutely. I was, I was talking to a friend yesterday and we were talking about all this uh, competition, right? So how early do we start comparing ourselves to another person? And we kind of touched in this topic, you know, like how our parents start comparing us with other babies <laughs> yeah. so early on. And then I will remember the APGAR. So as soon as <laughs> the APGAR test mm-hmm. rates you, as soon as you are born, they rate your birth, right? And I remember everybody asking me when I was at the hospital having my babies, you know, like, how, what was your Abgar? And I didn't even know what they were talking about, but it was such a weird concept to me. You know, like we will rate birth. Wow. So tell me, what is Abgar? 
Apgar is amazing. You know, they, they, it has to do with how fast you breathe it and the color of your skin when you're born. Yes, I remember that. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. Your yeah. reflexes and stuff. So they. Yeah. they <laughs> yeah. So they they have like a certain checklist they um they use and they test on every and then they give you the the, the points like yeah. right like they give you the score nine point five yeah. Oh. Like an Edgar test. Yeah, yeah. I remember that. And I, I, I remember actually now as some of my wife's friends actually asked her, yeah. like, what is the score? <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah, that's insane. Yeah. But well, what, what would we be like if there was nobody to compare ourselves with? You know, like what the image and the judgment we would have on ourselves would be completely different so true my son yesterday had a soccer festival it's a it's an event where they compete against each other generally they're like teams of two three kids and they're playing against each other and even though my son is progressing fairly quickly in, in his skill. There are kids, obviously, who are doing that longer, playing better, running faster, etc. And I see how one kid applies what we call pressure in, in soccer. Generally, soccer players, they will learn pressure around the age of 9 or 10. But some of them already know how to do that. So apply, applying pressure means using your body and force to intimidate the other player. And you can intimidate physically by shielding the ball and by shouldering someone out of their line. Or you can just be a fierce soccer player and everyone will be emotionally kind of intimidated right <laughs> and on the break he comes on this pause he, he comes to, to 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 drink some water and i'm saying do you see that what they are doing and he said oh he's doing this and that i'm like do you understand what you should do yourself and he's like you know daddy i don't really care <laughs> Oh, and I'm like, oh my God, you know, the guy is so wise. Right. Because this is something you should not think about. And I think the, this is what you started from. As long as you believe that self-esteem exists, you will be always in trouble. You will be always attaching yourself to the outer world things. Yeah. Like, if I'm doing great at school... It must be that I'm smart. Yeah. Or if I'm if I'm playing soccer well, it means that I'm physically adept, right? All yeah, of that. It's the whole process of signifying stuff, right? And and signification is just stories being made up and being believed. And so we we make up that it is possible to not feel insecure. We make up that it is possible to not feel doubt and to be always in clarity. And then we strive 
to acquire that, to get there. When the truth is that the whole plethora of emotions is always present in every single human being. So even the most apparently confident people experience doubt, experience fear, experience insecurity. It's just that their relationship to that feeling, that state, is completely different. Yeah. I've read many books on self-esteem and one of the known authors in uh, this topic, I think, is Brenna Brown as well. All these authors, they treat self-esteem as a real thing. Yeah, even Brenna Brown. Even Brenna Brown, even though I love her dearly. Oh man, she's amazing. I yeah. love her deeply. But they take it seriously. They say, hey, you know, one of the recommendations will be to talk back to your inner voice. Let's say, ah, you're not worthy and you need to reply, I am, I am worthy. Or you're really bad at parenting. And then you need to reply, ah, no, I'm actually good. Look what I've done for them, right? So which, you have this dialogue. Which would be the equivalent to your son actually doing, you know, engaging in the game that he was, that the other guys were playing at. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Like it, it will be equivalent of not seeing through, not understanding what the whole experience is about. Yeah. Yeah. Like if <laughs> I remember that, that movie in which the scientist suddenly realizes that he does have hallucinations and he has like imaginary friends and enemies <laughs> And as soon as he realizes they're imaginary, his relationship to them changes dramatically. Yeah. He keeps seeing them for the rest yeah. of his life, but his relationship to them changes dramatically. Yeah. And so realizing that the illusion of a self will always be with us, will always accompany us in life. But... But the knowledge that we do not need to necessarily engage in conversation with it or in games with it or even in competition with it or um, a futile attempt to better it. Yeah. That's interesting how human understanding of self-esteem has progressed over these years and at the same time all the progress is generally futile that's right you know in in psychoanalysis they would say hey let's go to the moment where you first felt uh, you know inadequate um or in um, like cognitive therapy, the idea will be, okay, what thought you are thinking? Let's try to play it out. Let's talk back. Let's have the dialogue. Let's go and show yourself that, hey, actually things might be different in the real world. So where the cognitive distortion is happening, etc. Based on what I know, based on my own practice, I 
I see that the best explanation or the best advice you can give to anyone is if if person likes stories, if person enjoys having these stories about um, esteem and worthiness and own value, is substitute self-esteem with self-acceptance. There you go. <laughs> Since it, it will destroy pretty much self-acceptance, will destroy every harmful story you have. Since every story will be welcome and there won't be any story, that is real. No, and it's absolutely true. You know, one of my earliest teachers uh, used to say, no amount of self-bettering or self-improvement will get you what a moment of self-acceptance will. And and he he made a whole exploration of that in in helping us realize that the acceptance was not of a faulty self. It was not, okay, settle down, you know, settle for this. Because <laughs> you cannot do better. It was, it was an exploration to actually really understanding that you are the potential of the whole universe expressing and accepting that. Yeah. Which implies, by definition refusing or rejecting what you're not which is limitation expressed in many 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 different forms but in the end it's just limitation do you think there is any story that is not limiting no i think every story is limiting because, yeah. because every story is in the form. And so as soon as you choose something, you choose to leave something else out, right? Now, here's the thing. We cannot do without stories. We cannot survive without stories. This is how we inhabit the world. But there is a huge difference in treating them as stories versus treating them as truth. You see, so it's not the same going to a buffet than going to a falafel stand. There you have falafels, that's it. <laughs> yes. Yeah. If there were only falafel stands, okay. But here's the thing, we are in an ever-changing buffet. And so our relationship to falafel changes dramatically, fundamentally. Yes. But it's it's really easy to actually see to what extent any belief in any story affects our relationship with ourselves and with the components of that story, right? Think of Santa Claus. Mm. <laughs> oh, I love the guy. I still believe he exists. It's, a, it's an amazing story. For as long as you believe that he's real and that he's checking up on you and that you have to be good and I don't know about, I don't know how your relationship with Santa was. In my house, it was kind of a fun and okay until my eldest brother was old enough. And then my mother convinced him to play it out one year, hmm. being the bad guy. And he got a huge box of coal instead of presents. Right? Oh. 
I remember we all went down and there was this amazing white shiny paper with a huge red bow and everybody wanted to know what the big present was. And when he opened it and it was just burnt coal, we were all dismayed and we felt so bad for him. And, and so. But it was a play, right? It was a play. It was a play. Yes. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> But that, you know, made our relationship with Santa really, really creepy because then we would really be good. <laughs> <laughs> and so our relationship to goodness and to authority and to vigilance and to everything was dictated by that story. Now, as soon as the story fades, as soon as the story dilutes, you have to develop a new relationship to goodness and to authority and to vigilance. You need to, because otherwise there is just nothing. But again, so the, the, the trick is to realize that the new relationship will be based in a new story. And then every time you relate to those things, a new story will be told. But you never need to attach to a story. You think stories are limiting? For sure, yeah. Recently, my attitude or opinion on stories has changed. Before that, I thought I will dismiss any story that is obvious lie. There is no story that is true. And you can always say, if you ask yourself, for, exa for example, you're, you're, you're thinking, you know, I'm not a good person father or I'm not a good mother. And you can ask yourself, like Byron Katie teaches, is it true? And then you say, ah, not actually, like, no, it's not true, right? So that, that would have been my approach for many years. But the dilemma was that there is no story, there is no thought, and there is no word that is true. So I thought, okay, I just need to shut up because I don't want to lie. <laughs> <laughs> But Misha, the counterpart of this is, okay, yes, every story is limiting. Every word is limiting. But at the same time, every story points to truth and points to liberation. Yeah. So that was my kind of next thought in this thought process, like, okay, but if it points well, I might keep it as well. Yeah. But then the next understanding came was, I am not a judge to really understand well, whether it points well, or there is something else that can point better. So instead of saying whether it's true or not, I will be saying whether it helps and feels good or not. Right. There you go. And suddenly it's not about lie and truth anymore. It's more about expansion because you feel better or contraction because you feel worse. Exactly. So the same Santa story is pointing to the joy of sharing and the joy of recognition 
and the beauty of actually giving of ourselves to others yeah. in recognition of their beauty and, and the gifts they bring to the world, right? Yeah. Every story, I mean, the story per se is not what limits or frees. It's what our mind does with the story that limits or frees. And in the same way, the story of a self can be incredibly limiting. Yeah. The story of a self can be incredibly limiting, but it can also be incredibly freeing when you realize its nature and, and, it's, and its worth and what it's actually for, its use, its value. Um, I Christmas is my most favorite event of the year. Yeah. <laughs> and, okay. and and for for the whole life it has been a celebration of for sure appreciation and sharing this year together. Since in, in fact, what we are really celebrating is, you know, our planet circling around the sun, right? That's all we are celebrating. But it's way bigger and deeper. As, as little fires or little lights on this planet, we are celebrating our dances together. Can I tell you about fusion and diffusion? You can tell me about anything you want. <laughs> so I'm reading this fantasy book. It's a really, really long one. I think I've, I've told you about that. And the idea, one of the core ideas of uh, the book is that main heroes of this novel, fantasy novel, they can infuse stormlight. Hmm. So after every storm, there is residual energy left on the planet and what they can do they can infuse this en energy into themselves and it, it gives them different powers okay so the idea of fusion is the idea of two things connecting fusing into each other right so that's what fusion is and the um incredible power of our thinking mind is ability to fuse with thoughts, images, and objects, and to diffuse, to, you know, to bring together and bring apart. Like you're watching a movie and you're fully fused into what is happening there. And to understand that you're not a part of the movie, you need to diffuse yourself by feeling your body, feeling your chair, if, if you're sitting or looking at your popcorn, etc. right? Or trying to observe in yourself watching the movie. That's another way to diffuse yourself, right? Right. Or like my kid, my kid does. Says, it's just a movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So with this thought about I'm not worthy, or I'm not good enough, all of that, it happens only when, we're, when we are fully fused. Yeah. 
with our thinking, with our thoughts, and also with what we call achievements. Absolutely. Yeah. So the only way for us to stop doing that stuff to ourselves is by diffusing. And then how we can diffuse in the moment is by bringing awareness, bringing ourselves to the current moment and understanding that nothing can harm us in now, in the now. Nothing can harm us in the present moment. Of course, makes sense. It's a beautiful way of describing it. I like it. Yeah, I thought it's kind of cool. Now I have a question for you and this is something I... I'm struggling myself. So the idea of observing yourself observe or observing yourself watching the movie, observing yourself noticing stuff is still kind of not truly clear in my head. I think I have experienced that, but I'm not sure because if I would have been sure I would have known. <laughs> okay. So the way I diffuse is by recognizing a thought as a thought. I would say, oh, it's funny that I think like that, or it's funny that I have these thoughts crossing my mind, or it's funny that I think these thoughts. So that's how I diffuse everything that I have in my head. But I know that another way to diffuse is by being aware that you're aware. So can you teach me or can you explain how it is done? Well, I can try. Of course you can. <laughs> so the way the way I have experienced this, Misha, is that <clears throat> there are two games, right? There are two ways to play the game. In one of them, you can observe yourself, and then you can observe yourself observing yourself in a wider circle, and then you can go to the next circle and observe yourself observing yourself observing yourself. And this is an endless game, right? You can, you can widen the circle forever for eternity. But the game of widening the circle and expanding is, it has no end. And so it, it's, you're still playing it. And the other way to go about it is recognizing the whole um, imaginary nature of what we are dealing with. So that those limits of the circles, of the ever-expanding circles, fall away immediately. Now, I will give you an example of, of something that happened to me in, in reflection. One day I realized that um, in my concept of eternity, there was a beginning. Like from the beginning of time... Like a big bang. Right? <laughs> But I realized, oh, there's a beginning. And I kind of watched that beginning fall as if it were a wall, it crumbled. And I saw that there was no limit. 
So I could imagine everything I could imagine, but eternity implied everything I could not imagine as well. And so it was full and complete. And, and for the first time, I could see that eternity was not from the beginning of time until the end of time. It was outside of time. It was of a different nature. It was always, it was all of it and none of it and whatever within it, outside of it, around it, outside of the around, etc. And I saw that eternity was now. It was the only possibility of being outside of time was right now. And that kind of filled the spaces in a millisecond, you know, it was like poof, everything, every limitation fell. But the game you are bringing to the table has to do with I. So when you have one circle in which you observe yourself and then you observe yourself observing yourself and then you observe yourself observe, observing yourself, the limit of those circles, the frontier between one circle and the other, will always be I. Okay. And I is the limitation. So when you tell me, identifying thought, oh, I see it, thought. But when you see I is a thought, then the limits fall. Mm -hmm. So the first thought is I, and then from that thought, every thought seems to happen in I. But I is a thought. And when you bring that frontier down, there is just awareness. Or observing mind. But there is no observer, do you see? Yeah. So pure awareness requires that the frontier between the subject and the object disappears. Right. How technically you're doing that? <laughs> <laughs> well, here's the thing, I cannot do it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. That's the whole point. It's not a doing. You see, doing is of the nature of I. Awareness cannot do. So as long as you keep trying to do it, you are you're setting yourself up for failure. Awareness is not connected to a doership identity. That is after awareness. Yeah. It, it is interesting. Like yesterday I was actually doing this exercise for myself. And I was, okay, I have a thought and I'm observing this thought. And as I'm trying to observe myself, I realize that it is a thought that is observing myself. <laughs> I'm like, I'm not doing that correctly. <laughs> well, but there is still an I who is not doing correctly the doing. Do you see? So the, 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 the I is the frontier that you have to see through. Yeah. That's tricky, right? Of course, one, because you need to see through you. And, and so that is where you realize that it cannot be done. Like no ego can survive 
love. So in the in the Sufi tradition, they talk about the drop and the ocean. The water, the, the, the nature of water is such that the drop cannot know the ocean unless it disappears. In the ocean, yeah. So it will never know the ocean as the drop. It needs to become the ocean. To understand itself and for the ocean to understand itself, it needs many drops. Well, yes, because it is drops. Yes. <laughs> okay, so our advice as we are finishing this episode, Marina, our adv advice to someone who is struggling with low self-esteem or high self-esteem, since friends, if you have high self-esteem, believe me, it's the same problem. You're dealing with the same problem. It comes from insecurity. It comes from deficiency that is not real. Absolutely. Like over overconfidence has nothing to do with confidence. <laughs> yeah. It's of a different okay. nature. <laughs> so true. And our advice will be A, stop believing that self-esteem exists. B, if you can't but have to try to substitute self-esteem with self-acceptance. And tell us C, Marina. Yeah, well, it's just a, it's just a being willing to realize that you are made up. That's it. From the very beginning to the very end, you are made up. All these stories are made up. Everything you're thinking is made up. And generally, everything you see is made up as well. That's right. And it's not your true nature. Your true nature is pure awareness. And it doesn't mean that you cannot enjoy it. Enjoy and create the stories you love that expand you and bring joy to your life. Absolutely. And, and pure awareness needs an eye in order to have experience. Do you see? So that you can fall in love and you can experience loss and you can i don't know enjoy the rain we need an eye in order to have a personal experience but we are not the personal experience yeah if there is no eye there is no human experience there is nobody doing there is nobody seeing and feeling there is only one observing if there is no eye there is just the observing. The observing, yeah. Great. Okay. Thank you, Marina. Wonderful. Thank you very much, Misha. This was, yeah. this was fun. Yes, it has been. Okay. See you next time. See you next time. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the School for Mystics podcast.